So, uh, I don't know how many of you, maybe 55 and over, you know of a man called who was alive, Steve McQueen. Remember the actor Steve McQueen? Okay, all those who will put up your hands will give your age away. Steve McQueen is, was like the bread put off today for the young people. Something you may not know about Steve McQueen. He was a Hollywood bad boy and headstrong, a thrill seeker, drawn to drugs, women, fast cars and motorcycles. How many of you saw the movie Grey Escape? Great movie. At the height of his stardom in the 1960s and 70s, that gives my age away, Steve McQueen was at the top of his game. Yet the king of cool was still searching for something more. That's the subject of a new documentary, Steve McQueen, American Idol. With an alcoholic mother and a string of abusive stepfathers, McQueen had always wanted a real dad in his life. Someone to look up to. He found a father figure in his flight instructor, Sammy Mason, who answered his countless questions about faith and told him about the perfect father, God himself. Little by little, this little red roll in the great escape stopped running in the opposite direction of God. Three months after McQueen and his wife started attending Mason's church in California, McQueen invited the pastor to lunch and asked him another round of questions. Could he really be forgiven? What does it look like to follow Jesus Christ? It was during that lunch that the pastor, Leonard DeWitt, asked McQueen about his own beliefs, and Queen shared that he had devoted his life to Jesus Christ a few weeks back. He had a new purpose and an ever-softening demeanor. Six months later, in the late 1979, McQueen was diagnosed with cancer. Although he wanted to live, friends and family could see he was at peace. If and when he died, he said he knew where he was going. On November the 3rd, 1984, days before his death, one of McQueen's wishes came true. He wanted to meet evangelist Billy Graham for some time, and on that day, Mr. Graham paid him a visit. The pair prayed together, talked about the afterlife, and McQueen told him how his faith in Christ helped him deal with the cancer. At the end of the meeting, Billy Graham left Steve McQueen his personal Bible. The name Billy Graham printed on the front. Inside, he wrote the date along with a message to my friend Steve McQueen. May God bless you and keep you always. He signed his name along with a reference to a Bible verse, Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham's Bible became McQueen's most valued possession, and he died on November the 7th, Billy Graham's second, 62nd birthday, and he was found clutching the Bible. Before his death, McQueen said he wanted to tell more people about God. While he grew weaker physically, he grew stronger spiritually and want others to know where that strength from, came from. God began something wonderful in McQueen's life, a total transformation, and has continued impacting others through his story. November the 7th is much more than his death date. It's the day the King of Cool met the King of Kings. What a wonderful story about Steve McQueen. I don't know how many knew that. I just found that out. My, my wife gave it to me. Amazing, eh, what God can do. And he was the Brad Pitt of the day. So pray for Brad Pitt. (laughs) 
I want to talk about the Father's promise, or the promise of the Father. I have two weeks, hallelujah, maybe hallelujah for some, not for others, but anyway, I have two weeks to talk about the Father's promise. In the New King James, in Luke 24, 49, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's Jesus speaking. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Acts 1.4, where Luke, who wrote, obviously Luke and then Acts, refers back to that scene a couple of years later when he writes Acts. And he says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of the Father. He changed the word from my Father, because Jesus was speaking to the Father meaning he's the father of us now. Wait for the gift, the promise of the father. That's what I want to talk about. What is the promise of the father? It's a promise, not the promises of God. It's the promise of a father to his born again sons and daughters. In Acts 1, Acts 1, 1, Jesus Luke wrote, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so today I want to do the teaching. Next week we're going to do the doing. But I need you to have an understanding of what the promise of the Father is to his sons and daughters. And we know what that is. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from the Father to his sons and daughters. It's a precious gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand it more so we understand what it actually means and is. The Father has promised to give us, his sons and daughters, a gift, a precious gift. We know from Scripture it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38 and 39, after they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit, Peter says this, repent and baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. So Peter's speaking, the promise is for you, your children and all who are far off and all who the Lord will call. That's you and I. So it wasn't just for them. This promise is for you, your children, all who are far off, and all whom the Lord will call. That's good news. That includes you and I, sons and daughters, if you're born again. There is so much confusion about this in the body of Christ, unfortunately. People say, but did I not receive the Holy Spirit at conversion? We did, but there's more to come. The prevailing thought in many circles, unfortunately, is it is not for today, which is not true. If we have wrong thinking, it will lead to wrong believing, and if we have wrong believing, it will lead to wrong speaking. So we have to get the truth, think publicly, so we can believe publicly, and what's in the heart will come out the mouth. That's why I'm touching on this. Because it's foundational, we need it. 
So I want to help equip us as a body and give you biblical assurance what you can ask for and what you can expect, what you can trust for and what you can go to your Father for and say, Lord, Father, you promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's your promise. It's a gift, unearned. So it creates a hunger and an expectation in you. I have faith when I know that it's true what I can go and ask my father for, then I have faith for it. But I've got to know it's in the Bible. You with me? So let's backtrack a little bit so we can have a look at it. John chapter 1. I didn't write these down. John chapter 1. John the Baptist is coming on the scene. We're going to go backtrack a bit. Verse 29 says this. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down, come down and remain, is he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist, think about it, folk. Here comes this Old Testament prophet, and nothing in a sense had been taught about the Holy Spirit. We see the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament coming upon certain individuals for a time or a period or a season, but then lifting off them. John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, well, this was, imagine him saying this. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. People could maybe accept that. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Two separate incidences. Those two are the cornerstones of the ministry of Jesus Christ. What I call twin truths. It's like a coin. If you want the full value of the coin, it's got to have both sides to it. That's the twin truths of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist speaking again, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, he would give insights and truths concerning the ministry and the works and the coming of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, he talks about being born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it winds, and he says we're born of flesh, but we need to be born of the Spirit. And he's saying we need to be born again, and it can only happen through the Holy Spirit. John 4, he talks about worshiping in Spirit and truth. John 7, he talks about streams of living water that will flow within all those who believe when the Holy Spirit comes. John 6, he talks about the Spirit gives life. He said, the words I speak are spirit and life. And then in John 13 to 16, we're going to have a look at that. He gives this incredible teaching 
on the Holy Spirit. It's like his last words on earth. Very important. First words in the Bible and last words are very important because you want to leave something. And it's very interesting that one of the first words in the right Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth and the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep. The Holy Spirit's in the beginning, Revelation 22, and the bride and the Spirit say, come. So Jesus gives us teaching about the Holy Spirit. It's interesting he had communion with Judas, the betrayer, but he waited for Judas to go before he gave this teaching on the Holy Spirit because of the significance of it. So in John, we're going to turn it a little bit to John, John chapter 14, let's start there. John 14, 16. Just going to highlight a few. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That word another means the same as in every way. So he's saying, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, the spirit of truth. The same as me in every way. It will be me, but you won't be able to physically see me anymore, but it will be me. That's in a sense what he's saying. That's why he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will still be with you. You just won't be able to touch me anymore, but I'm with you. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Chapter 25, all I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, whom the Father will send. That's why it's a gift of the Father. It's a promise of the Father. Will teach you all things. All things. Will teach you all things. All the things we need to be aware of. He will teach you. He will remind you of everything. And as I'm getting older... I'm claiming that more and more. You've got to remind me of some things, Lord, that I've said to you. Isn't that interesting? So he will teach you. He will ongoingly teach you, but he'll also remind you of stuff you've possibly forgotten and bring it to your remembrance. That's what he will do for you. So relax, because then he says, my peace, I'll leave with you. Don't fret. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will do this for you. It's like I'm with you. 15 verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will reveal me to people. And you also must testify, for you've been with me. So as we partner with him, the Holy Spirit testifies through us about Jesus Christ. Chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That word counselor is another word for helper. It's parakletos. 
It means to call to the side of, to come alongside. The word signifies an intercessor, a comforter, a helper, an advocate in counseling. In non-biblical literature, a parakletos has the technical meaning of an attorney who appears in court on behalf of another. Isn't that interesting? We have an attorney on our side. And it's a good one. It's not like Dwayne. Sorry, Dwayne. <laughs> and he's never wrong. Never wrong. Never wrong. I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. Why? Because the sin he's talking about you is the sin of unbelief. It's not sins. It's the sin of unbelief. He will convict the world of their unbelief. What he will do. We can't convict anybody. Let the Holy Spirit do the conviction. And righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father. In other words, right standing. There's a righteousness that you can have a right standing, which the Holy Spirit will impart to you and I. So now I'm in right standing. And judgment, it's not judgment on the world. Who's the judgment on? The evil one, Satan. And he stands judged. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Amen. So we can chill. We really can. Let's carry on reading. And regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned, I have much more, much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The Trinity right there. Wonderful. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's address the confusion. I received the Holy Spirit conversion so why do I still need the Holy Spirit? It's very important to understand the New Testament describes two separate experiences, both which are described as receiving the Holy Spirit. It means it is possible for a Christian to have received the Holy Spirit, which you get when you get born again, because he comes and lives inside you, in one way of an experience, but not in the other. I'm going to explain it. John chapter 20, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus died, he's risen again. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. 
He breathed himself into them. That's where the disciples were born again. That's where they got saved. Because Jesus had now died and risen again. That's their born again experience. And that's what happens to us. The Holy Spirit breathes Jesus into us in a sense. It's the same word used when he said he breathed on them in Genesis chapter 1 when the Father made the dust and he blew into it. He blew himself and Adam was formed. He blew his DNA into Adam. Jesus blew who he was into those disciples. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 24, the scripture I quoted right in the beginning. This is the same incident, but from Luke's perspective, and we get a little more information, we get a little bit more understanding of it. So John 20, when it said he breathed himself, it literally means receive holy breath. They passed from Old Testament to New Testament salvation. What imparted was imparted to them was a totally new kind of life, eternal life. When you got saved and I got saved, eternal life entered you. It's the quality of life. It's God's life that'll never pass away. So you have something of heaven in you already. You're tasting what's still to come. You understand what I'm saying? It's a wonderful thing. Okay. So now in Luke 24, verse 36, I don't know if... While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. The same as in John. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said, why are you troubled? Why do you doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I. Touch me. See, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still did not believe, because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish. He took it, ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds, verse 45, so they could understand the scriptures. John 20 says, he breathed into them. Luke 24 says, he opened their minds. They all of them. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's like all, oh yes, now I know what's going on. That's what happens when you get born again. So it's the same incident. Then he told them this, is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're witness of these things. Verse 49, what I started with. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So they've received the Holy Spirit. Hang on, guys. Don't go anywhere yet, because you need power now. Now you need God's ability to do what you're going to do. So they have the Holy Spirit, but he's saying, wait, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Two separate incidences. So, let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 
Paul quoted the scripture in the beginning. Is everybody still with me? We're going through a lot of scripture, but I want to biblically base it. Acts 1, verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking to born-again believers who have the Holy Spirit inside of them. But wait, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Seven weeks later, on Pentecost Sunday, seven weeks later, you go to Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Imagine experiencing that. And filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. There's a spirit in there. These are the same people that had... Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit in. Now something else happens. It's interesting to note, before they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were still locked away and afraid. Nothing had changed outwardly. No impact had taken into the surrounding areas. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, everything outside there changed. 3,000 people got saved. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does on your life and my life. Whatever he's called you to do, he enables us. He gives us the ability. So I'll put a chart up at the back so we can explain it and fully understand it so you know what you're asking for. On resurrection, oh, okay, but I do need to see it. Hallelujah, well done. Resurrection Sunday, it's the resurrected Christ. John 20. It's the inbreathed spirit. There's the scriptures. And John 1, 12 and 13 says, To all who believed in him and received him, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of natural descent, nor of a human's decision or a man's decision, but born of God. The right word right means authority. He gave them authority. So when we get born again, we get given authority. Authority to proclaim. Authority to declare. Authority to stand against the work of the evil one. Authority to overcome temptation. Authority to conquer sin. We have the authority. Thank you. You do. You have authority, people. Don't let the devil push you around. You have authority to stand against him. Authority. God-given authority. Don't let him push you around. Sorry, I get all passionate about that. <laughs> the result is life, Zoe life, eternal life, and it's manifested in authority. It's like he came and he put his cloak on you and said, it's like the traffic cop. You can stop traffic. You can stop 10-ton truck. Why? Because of the authority invested in what he wears because he's got everybody backing him behind him. So a man can stand in front of this massive 50 ton truck and put his hand up and the truck has to stop. The truck is more powerful than him. The evil one, in a sense, is more powerful than us, but you have authority over him. You've got to understand that. God-given authority. 
Then Pentecost Sunday, it's the ascended Christ. It's the outpoured spirit. Acts 2, Acts 8, and Acts 10, we'll look at later. The result is equipping. It's supernaturally enabling, and it's manifested in, I'll use another, because everybody gets power hungry, and manifested in ability. God gives you ability. Ability to do what he's called you to do. Let me use an example. Jesus called it the anointing. When he got baptized in water, he came out, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was already full with the Spirit, Jesus. The heavens opened, the Holy Spirit came upon him. A few minutes later, Jesus opened the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He turns to Isaiah 61. He said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This is what anointing does in your life. Now there's power. That's what the anointing does. You don't have to change anything about who you are. Just be you. But let the anointing rest upon you. And he'll anoint you for what he's called you to. And some are called to business. I think anointing just stands for the person behind the pulpit. Not at all. Not in any form or any. He wants to anoint his people. The promise of the Father is for every one of his sons and daughters. Where is, what is her name? Me and people's names. She sent me a text yesterday. Don, Don, Melinda, Melinda. That lady has an anointing on her. She has an ability to love people. It's unbelievable. The outcast, the downtrodden, the broken. I can't do what she does. You've got to be comfortable with your skin. It's on you. Don't try and be like somebody else. Please, just be you. Your personality. So it's the anointing. Oh, okay. And that's what Pentecost Sunday is about. It's the outpoured spirit. To baptize means cause something to be dipped or immersed. Therefore, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit suggests that the believer's whole personality is immersed, surrounded and enveloped in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, coming down over him from above. Everywhere in Scripture where it talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, everywhere, there's no exception. It talks about coming down over from above upon. It's a waterfall. Forgive me. It's this. This is you and I. It's this that, oops, that hand shakes. It's this that happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. But the Holy Spirit's in us, but now he comes upon us. But because of life, because of circumstances, because of concerns, it washes off us. So we need to go back. Lord, fill me again. Let me spend some time with you. Let me get into your presence. Let me clothe you afresh, my son. Because the pressures of life, 
It washes off us. It didn't wash off Jesus. It remained on him. That's why it says it remained on him. That's why it's important to spend time with the Lord. To get afreshed. Let's go and see in the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. That's what happened to these wonderful disciples. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John and the disciples have preached. People who got saved. The religious leaders didn't like it. They arrested them. They took them in to jail. Told them they're not allowed to preach in the name of Christ. They then released them. Interesting, you don't have the scripture. When the angel came to them and released them, the angel said to them, for we cannot help, go and tell them the full gospel. That's what the angel said, go tell them the full gospel. In other words, don't just tell them about your sins and forgive them. Tell them about the whole thing. And you're baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all to the chief priests and elders what they said. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. Just want to see what I've put at the back there. Verse 20, oh, it's all 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then he goes on and he quotes an Old Testament scripture. And then go down to verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable, empower, empower, give us ability, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. It's amazing. They didn't pray for protection. Like maybe we would today. They didn't pray, take them out, Lord. They said, Lord, give us boldness to declare your word. Give us boldness to stand firm. To enable your servants to speak your word. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles and signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, just so we understand, who was filled with the Holy Spirit again? The same people in Acts chapter 2. Again, it happened to them again. Because it washes off us. But the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit breathed in you, changes your character. Teaches you to obey. Teaches you to hear the voice of the Father. Conforms you to the image of Christ. And as that works going on, the Holy Spirit comes upon you to anoint you to do. But if we just worry about this without concerning ourselves with this, this gets skewed. This doesn't start to look good. Because the character is not lining up with what's happening from above. And then the anointing brings destruction instead of healing. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why it's very important for them both to happen at the same time. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 8, coming to an end. What, what, how much time do I have left? Two minutes. Uh, thank you, two minutes, Lord help us. Okay, Acts chapter 8, thank you, Kevin. I like it, I like it. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip... 
because Philip went to preach in this amazing place and a joy broke out. And as Philip, and when, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astounded by the great signs and miracles he could do. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them and they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They were saved under the preaching of Philip. The apostles came, Peter, James, and John said, okay, guys, wonderful news. You sons and daughters of God, I have a gift from our Father for you, the promised Holy Spirit. Let's pray hands on you. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. To such a degree that when Simon the sorcerer saw what happened, yet he was a born-again Christian, he wanted to buy that gift because it was better than what he could do in the natural because he was a sorcerer before. And Peter had to deal with him. He needed a little bit of deliverance. In other words, stronger lawless that had come out of him. But anyway, okay. So it's just my terminology. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This is when Cornelius goes to, I mean, Peter goes to Cornelius as a Gentile, which he didn't want to go to, but the Lord caused him to go. And then on returning, verse 44, it says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the one case in scripture where Cornelius and his family got saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit at the same time. That can happen. And as Peter's giving a report back in Acts chapter 11, if you go to Acts chapter 11, verse 15 and 17, it says, as I was speaking, or as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter remembered that. Isn't that amazing? It's twice Peter was speaking and the Holy Spirit interrupted him. It's the only person it's twice that happened to. So, and then in Acts 19, the same thing happens. People believed and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. The English word most commonly used to translate the Greek word exousia is authority. This distinctive work, mark of the born-again child of God, he is no longer a slave of sin and Satan. He's a son of God. As such, he possesses new authority. He no longer succumbs to temptation or he can overcome it in the opposition. He meets and overcomes his things by the virtue of the new life within him, eternal life within him. He is an overcomer. He has authority. However, authority is not the same as power. The first disciples already had this authority from the time of Christ's resurrection onward. They were already sons of God. They were able to lead godly overcoming lives. They were no longer the slaves of sin. However, during the period from the resurrection to the day of Pentecost, these first disciples made very little positive impact upon the great majority of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. As a whole, during this period, Jerusalem was very little changed or affected by the fact of Christ's resurrection. All this changed dramatically when the descent of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. As soon as 120 believers in the upper room were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the whole of Jerusalem immediately felt the impact. Within an hour or two, a group of more, many thousands gathered, and before the close of the day, 
3,000 Christ-rejecting unbelievers were gloriously saved because of the anointing on Peter's life. That's what the Holy Spirit does, the baptism. That's the gift. I have a gift for you, my children. I have a gift for you, my children. I have a gift for you, my sons and daughters. I have a gift for you, the Father says. I have a special gift, precious gift for you. Why have I preached this? Because I want you to take this week and go home and say, Lord, put some hunger and thirst in me. Put a desire in me for this gift that you want to give me. And the gift will come upon you, but the gift is not for you. It's for others. That's the key. You might enjoy it while it's happening. Some will laugh, some will cry, some will fall. That's fine. But it's ultimately not for you. It's for other people. It's to give other people what God has given you. It's an ability to give other people. My wife has that ability in ways that I don't have that ability. And then she comes to me and she said, it's Ken, it's not fair. You can do that and I can't do that. Because it's different giftings. I'll end with a story. I hope this has put a hunger and thirst in you and given you some biblical evidence of what I'm speaking about. The father has a gift for his children. The father. And you might have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but maybe he wants to be rebaptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants fresh water to come upon you for what's coming ahead. Because I feel for what's coming ahead, we're going to need for us to make impact into the city, for us to make impact in our neighbors, for us to make impact in people's lives, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just be yourselves and let God do it through you. That's what will begin to happen. I got saved in May 1986. Glorious salvation. Really was. God delivered me and set me free from a number of things. Nine months later, we went into full-time youth ministry, Michelle and I. Absolutely loved it. And so I got saved in May. In May the following year, 1987, we went back to a similar conference where I thought God used to live in that place because so many things happened to me there. We went back to that conference and we'd just gone into full-time youth ministry like three months before. I just bought a Bible. I just started to read the Bible. I didn't understand any of this stuff. I honestly didn't. I didn't even know it was there. Just being honest. But I just loved the Lord. And then at that conference, they called all those who had recently gone into full-time ministry. So I looked at the pastor, and I said, does that mean Michelle and I? And he went like this. So I said, okay. So Michelle and I came forward. Remember this, Michelle. And we were standing there, and two young guys came towards us. And they probably got from, I don't know, from here to drain away from me. And I was just standing there, minding my own business. Didn't know what it was. Just literally, I was just standing there. And next thing, I was on the floor. I was on the floor. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. But I was on the floor. 
And when I hit the floor, my head came up, then my feet came up, then my head came up, then my feet came up, and my head, and it was like a fish that you take out of water. And my whole body started to shake. And I said to Michelle, I'm shaking, I'm shaking. I don't know why I'm shaking. I can't stop the shaking. And as I'm lying there, inside of me, I felt like, raise your hands up. So I raised my hands up as I'm lying on the floor. And as I raised my hands up, these three fingers and these three fingers felt like somebody put them in the light socket. Electricity came down. My whole body, like, you know, when you're like going to fibrillate somebody, three times that happened to me. I hadn't, my brain was going tilt because I couldn't work this out in my brain because there's nothing you can work in your mind. It really was. And I'm still shaking like a fish. And then I felt God say, stand up. I want to show you something. So I said to Michelle, I can't stand, but I've got to stand. So she pulled me up and she went and called somebody else. There were about three, 400 people there. And somebody else came and had my arm around her and my arm around the other one. It was like the old days before I was saved, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> and my feet were dragging because I couldn't walk. And in me, I thought, God said, raise your hand. And I raised my hand, and as I raised my hand, I looked at somebody who I raised my hand to, and they were sitting about with Rainers. They were actually standing. And as I raised my hand and our eyes met, was a lady. She catapulted back three rows. She just catapulted. I thought, ma, ma. That day, God put a hook in me. He put a hook inside of me to never settle for less. That's what he did. A hook in me. It's like he puts a hook inside you. But I knew it wasn't me. I just knew it wasn't me. They didn't understand it. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. And I'm encouraging you. You go home and ask your father. But don't box what it's got to look like. Just relax. Let God be God. And some people are say, but, you know, I don't want to fall over. doesn't matter. doesn't mean you have to. Some people don't. But it's between you and your father. It's your desire. It's your hunger. But the father has a gift for you. A promised gift. By faith, it's a gift unearned. A gift. And then he teaches us how to facilitate that gift. That's what he does. And that's what he's done with me. It just teaches us how to facilitate. In other words, how to work with the gift that he's given you. So I trust this has been helpful. Next week, come prepared. This week's the teaching. Next week's the doing. So maybe we'll only have 10 people, but that's fine. Okay, <laughs> no teasing. No teasing. Dwayne, over to you.
Okay. Okay.